Thank you, choir. Andy, it was great. We're in a series called Margin. This is our third week. Last week, we talked about scheduling margin. This week, we're going to talk about financial margin. Next week is moral margin, spiritual margin. Uh, When it comes to financial margin, uh, in our culture, financial stress has become completely normal. 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They're in debt, they have no savings, they have no financial margin. That's become normal. Haggai chapter 1 verse 6, little book in the Old Testament, Haggai. God describes what life was like in Israel. He says, you plant much but harvest little. You have food to eat but not enough to fill you up. You drink but it doesn't satisfy your thirst. You have clothing to wear but not enough to keep you warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Sounds like today. You work, but you don't get ahead. You eat and drink, but you're always craving more. Your wages run through your pockets as if there were holes in them. And along with this lack of financial margin comes tension, anxiety, worry, stress, tension in your relationships, fighting in your marriage, and we act like that's normal. Folks, normal isn't working. We need to build financial margin into our lives. Now, what is margin? Well, in this series, we've been defining margin as the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. And from my financial margin would be if you earn $3,000 a month and you spend $2,500 a month, you have $500 a month margin. You have money left over at the end of the month. But if you earn $3,000 a month and you spend $3,200 a month, you don't have any margin. You have a shortage. You're going into debt every month. Financial margin is having money left over at the end of the month. Money available to help someone else in need. Money available to give without feeling stressed. Money available to cover emergencies. Money available to fulfill God's purposes for your life. Money is the, margin is the ability to be financially at rest, not anxious, not worried, not always afraid. And sadly, financial margin is something most people do not have, 76% at least. But God wants you to have financial margin. Look at Proverbs 21.20. It says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. It says, in the house of the wise, there's more than enough. In the house of the wise, there is a surplus. In the house of the wise, there's margin. But a foolish person devours all he has. A foolish person lives paycheck to paycheck. Now notice this verse does not say, in the house of the wealthy, there is margin. It doesn't say, in the house of the two-income family, there's more than enough. It doesn't say in the house of the six-figure income are stores of choice, food, and oil. No. It says in the house of the wise, there's more than enough. Because there is a wise way to manage money and there is a foolish way to manage money. I want to paint for you a word picture here of two very different families. Uh, These two families could represent any number of people and uh, you probably won't have any trouble picturing this with me. Uh, The first family lives in a very beautiful home. 
Yard is landscaped. It's well manicured. In fact, as you walk up to the house, it looks like the lawn is professionally cared for. Uh, you step onto the beautiful front porch. There are big double doors there. When you ring the bell, you don't just get a simple ding-dong. You get a ding-dong, 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 ding-dong. They open the front doors, and you step in, and you're struck with the high ceilings and the high-end floors and the kitchen. There are stainless steel appliances, a six-burner gas stove, granite countertops. You go into the bathroom, and there's a jacuzzi tub and a shower and a double sink and a walk-in closet you could do laps in. Three-car garage filled with high-end vehicles and all the toys. There's the Harley, the boat, the jet ski, the RV. And you look at all that, and you think, these people are doing great. But if you get beyond appearances, you realize that their wealth is a house of cards. Their wealth is smoke and mirrors. In fact, it's not really wealth. It's debt masquerading as wealth. They're having trouble making the house payment and the second mortgage. The license and insurance have expired on the RV. Last time they took the boat out, they had a big fight because they had to charge the gas in order to run the boat. Wife had to go back to work, so the baby is in daycare. The other kids come home to an empty house after school. It's not the way mom wants it to be, but she's got to work to earn money to pay for all the stuff. Husband's afraid of being laid off at work. He's working overtime, carrying more responsibility, even looking for a second job, looking for another income stream. They're expending all their energy to keep up with their lifestyle till they have no energy left for each other, they have no energy left for themselves, and they're fighting all the time about money. Life looks good on the outside, but inside that big, beautiful home, things are really pretty ugly. Another family, different neighborhood, you walk up to their house, the yard is not manicured, in fact, it looks like the kids have been playing in the yard and having a blast. Front door is not a big set of double doors. It's just one door with an inexpensive screen door. And when you push the bell, all you get is a simple dink. (laughs) They open up the door. You're not overwhelmed with high ceilings or low ceilings. In fact, they've got little popcorn stuff on their ceiling. In the kitchen, their Formica countertops work just as well as granite. Their bathroom has one sink, a toilet, and a tub with no jacuzzi jets. The garage is a two-car garage. Both cars have over 100,000 miles on them. But when you go over to this house, you can feel their margin. You know they have money left over at the end of the month. You can tell it. Look at their refrigerator. There's pictures of missionaries and ministries that they support. They've just chosen a simpler lifestyle. You sit on their paid-for sofa, you watch their paid-for television, and you see the way they interact as a family, and there is a difference. They don't have all the things of the other house, but there is peace in this house. There's a lack of tension, fear, and anxiety. There's breathing space. There's margin. Most people with an untrained eye would walk up and say, well, they're not rich because we define rich the wrong way. But I tell you, when I look at the big house with the tension and the fear, there's nothing in me that says that's rich. In fact, to me, that's very poor. But when I see a home with margin, not just financial margin, but scheduling margin and spiritual margin, I see a family rich in what matters most. 1 Timothy 6 highlights this for us. Small home with margin could be this. 
It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Circle that word, that phrase, great gain. It doesn't just say it's some gain. It doesn't just say it's decent gain. It says godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then there are families that look like they're doing well, but they aren't. Verse 9 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Today we see debt and greed causing people to wander from the faith, to forget God's priorities in their life, to forget God's purposes in their life, and it causes them tremendous grief. They're unable to enjoy what they have because they're always worried about money. Why do so many of us trade margin, flexibility, and peace for material things that don't last? Why do we do that? Because we believe the lies of the world. You know, our culture tells us, it gives us this definition of happiness. Our culture says the happiness is more than I currently have. The world tells you that whatever you have, it's not enough. If you just get more, then you'll be happy. If you had just a little bit more, then you will be satisfied. Our culture tells us you deserve it. In fact, if you can't afford it right now, charge it. Make payments because it's going to make you happy. You're not happy because you don't have enough. And so we wind up with 20-something newly married trying to live with the same lifestyle right now that it took their parents 30, 40, 50 years to attain. They're struggling with their debt. When Katie and I got married, we didn't, we didn't have a washer and dryer. Our, our night, date nights, in fact, were doing laundry at the laundromat. Uh, you know, we could have gone out and charged a washer and dryer, but we chose a simpler, debt-free lifestyle. And we have fond memories of the laundromat. We did that for three probably four years. And uh, Katie probably doesn't remember this part, but I remember if there was nobody else in the laundromat, we'd make out. (laughs) I remember the laundromat. (laughs) You know, Katie does remember the time I lost track of which dryer was ours, and I threw a big handful of wet whitey tidies into some other lady's uh, dryer. And I remember vividly to this day, I I just see myself in slow motion letting go of them and realizing, that's not my stuff going around in there. (laughs) And I look over at this poor little lady there with a shocked look on her face. And and I said, it's okay, they'll be dry real soon. (laughs) Now the corner of my eye, I see Katie bolt out the front door of the laundromat. She's standing outside the plate glass windows. I can't hear her, but I can see her laughing so hard she's almost sick. Those are much more pleasant memories than remembering struggling to pay off a washer and dryer that we had charged. Crazy thing is, uh, many of you are blessed now with more than you ever imagined possible. And yet you are more miserable now than you've ever been. What happened? Why? Because we have lifestyled our way straight past our margin. And I tell you, folks, it is not an income problem. It's not even a lifestyle problem. If we get to the root of this, it's a spiritual problem. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
You know, in so many ways, that is the opposite of many people's lifetime goal. For many people, the goal is to store up on earth as much as they can to get more and more, more treasure here. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, that's foolish. He says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. And he tells us to do that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money goes, your heart will follow. Average American Christian gives 2% of their income toward God. 2%. That means 98% of their heart goes to the world. We wind up with our heart in the wrong place. That's the problem. So how do we create financial margin in our life? Well, the world's answer is earn more or spend less. You know, if you want to create margin, earn more or spend less. Get a second job. Get a better job. Get a promotion. Get more money. Truth is, you cannot earn your way to margin. That's why you see all these sports stars and pop stars and movie stars with gazillions of bucks, and they go bankrupt. That's why we experience it even, even on our level. I remember one time I, I moved from one job to another. In, in the first job, every two weeks, two days before payday, I had no lunch money. I mean, was, everything was gone. And I got a job that paid me twice as much. And I thought, oh, finally. And every two weeks, two days before payday, I had no lunch money. You cannot earn your way to margin. Because the reason you don't have margin is not because you don't earn enough. Uh, just like the reason you don't have margin is not because you simply spend too much. You can budget, you can scrimp, you can save, you can coupon all you want, but it's not going to get you margin. Because the reason you don't have margin is not simply because you spend too much. Margin is not just a matter of math. It's not just an income problem. It's not just a spending problem. It is a spiritual problem. There is a deeper spiritual root to the issue of margin. So how do you get beyond the practical and into the spiritual? How do we create financial margin? The spiritual answer is you put God first in your finances. Remember that passage from Haggai about wages running through your pockets? Uh, why was that the case? What's the context of, of that description? Well, the context of that is that the nation of Israel had put themselves ahead of God. You know, the first five verses ahead of the, that, that verse talk about the fact that they were building big, fine houses for themselves and they had neglected the temple. They were putting their own comfort ahead of the work of the Lord. Same thing's true in our day. Same thing's true today. God has given us the great commandment and the great commission to fulfill. But instead of doing that, we expend our resources on ourselves. And that's why we have no margin. That's why we have no margin. Because when God isn't first in your life, you cannot earn enough or save enough. Can't do it. When God isn't first, your pockets have holes in them. But when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. When we seek God first, when we make God's priorities our priorities, when God's will and God's word 
determine my lifestyle rather than my culture, rather than my own wishes, hopes, dreams, and desires, then everything else falls into place. When I prayerfully ask God, God, how would you have me use my money to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission? We'll see three tremendous benefits that come into our lives. There'll be many more, but let's look at these three. What happens when you put God first in your finances? First, you will experience God's blessing. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. God's speaking to the nation of Israel again. He says this. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And they say, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Here's the problem. The nation had not been tithing. And because of that, they were experiencing significant struggle. They stopped putting God first, they stopped obeying Him, and the foundation of their nation began to crumble. Sound familiar? You know, what we're experiencing today is nothing new. Countries and nations have experienced this over and over and over. You would think we would have learned our lesson. But we are facing severe financial issues as a nation. And there are those who think on one side that the solution is we just need to make more. We just need to tax more. We just need to get more revenue into the treasury and that will solve our problem. And there are those who think, no, 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 we just need to spend less. We just need to cut spending and spend less. Earn more, spend less is not the cure to our financial crisis. It's not an income problem. It's not a spending problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. When a nation removes God in prayer from its schools, when it removes God from the life of its children, when the president of the country stands before Planned Parenthood, largest abortion mill in the country, and says, God bless you, when the national cathedral rings its bells in celebration of same-sex marriage, There is not enough money on the planet to fund that kind of rebellion and rejection of God. It is not an income problem. It is not a spending problem. It is a spiritual problem. Same thing's true in our personal lives. Same thing's true in our personal lives. You know, when when people come to the church and ask for benevolence, and we help a lot of folks, but one of the first questions we ask is, is, do you tithe? Because if you don't tithe, then you have moved your finances out from under the umbrella of God's protection. You have opened your finances to the chaos and the consumption of the world. And no amount of money can fund chaos. You may as well take money and shove it down a rat hole. Because it's out from under God's protection, God's blessing. And it runs through your pockets like like pockets with holes in them so what's the solution the solution is bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house bring the first 10 percent of what god has given you back to the house of god in this day it was the temple in our day it's the church and you can almost see god thinking as he tells the people to do this you can almost see him thinking when i tell them to do this they are going to freak out 
When I tell them to do this, they're going to think, this is crazy, this is outlandish, this is extreme, this is fanatical. They're going to think, this is impossible. I mean, if 100% isn't enough, how can I do it on 10% less? And so God reassures the people. He says, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. You don't believe me? Put me to the test. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God says, test me in this. Because what does tithing do? What tithing does is it teaches us that 90% with God's blessing goes farther than 100% without it. You know, when we bring God our first and our best, he blesses the rest. Tithing is one of the most tangible, practical ways that we can put God first. Tithing pushes us to rearrange our priorities around God's priorities. We have to say no to many things because we can't afford them. But we say yes to God. Tithing breaks the power of materialism and consumerism in our lives. It forces us to evaluate where is our money going. That's why when people ask me, you know, if I'm struggling financially, shouldn't I wait until I have financial margin to start tithing? And I'm like, no, no. Because it is tithing that brings God's blessing. Tithing releases God's power in your finances. Tithing breaks the very thing in your life that's led you to marginless living. Put God first in your finances, and you'll see God's blessing. Put God first in your finances, and number two, you will become supernaturally content. You ask God for divine direction and wisdom about how to handle your money, and you will have a supernatural contentment in your life. Proverbs 15, 16, it is better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. He says it's what? He says it's better. It's better. Better a little with God. Better a little with margin than big houses, nice cars, great wealth with turmoil. Better something paid for than something nicer with the stress of debt. Godliness with contentment is great gain. world says, no, 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 no. More will make you happy. More will make you happy. But here's the problem with more. You can never get there. If what it takes to make you happy is more, more is never enough. But God says happiness is contentment with what you already have. And when you believe that, you stop living like the world. You start doing things like selling that big house and downsizing to a smaller one because margin is better. Now you drive an old car instead of charging or buying a new car, making payments, because margin is better. You tear up your credit cards and start paying with cash because margin is better. When you realize margin is better, you start doing really weird things like living on a budget and getting Dave Ramsey tattooed on your shoulder <laughs> because it's better. You know, it's better to have money to give to God's work in the world. It's better when something breaks down, you don't break down because you have the funds to fix it. It's better to see someone in need and be able to help out. It's better to be praying and asking God what to do with the extra than praying and asking God to cover the shortfall. It's better to live in your paid-for place with peace in your marriage than live in the big place and fight about money. When you seek God first, you realize you don't need things because God is enough. Because debt 
is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. And when you seek God first, when you tithe, put God first in your finances, you become supernaturally content. Third benefit, you end up with more of what really matters. Proverbs 8.18, God says, With me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. My fruit is better than fine gold. My gifts are better than the finest silver. Now, when you have scheduling margin and financial margin, you will spend time with the people you love and you will invest in the things that are the most important. You will be rich relationally, rich spiritually. You will be rich in the things that matter most. That's why Jesus tells us to store up treasure in heaven because it can't be corrupted or stolen. There's no rut, no rust, no thieves. But it's a spiritual problem. Because we truly believe the lies that the world tells us. We think things will satisfy the emptiness in our lives, but that's a lie. Jesus says you can gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, you have lost what's most important. And some of you have been seeking and searching and looking for peace and contentment, but you've been looking for it in more. More money, more stuff, more things, more activities. You're not going to find your peace in possessions. You find peace in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the real question. You know, is God first in your life? Is Christ king? Is he Lord? Is he your savior? Is he reigning in your life? Because we can struggle with our financial debt, but the truth is our greatest struggle is with our sin debt. It's a debt we cannot pay. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, to pay that sin debt for us, to free us from that debt. He died, rose again. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved, will be forgiven. Your sins will be washed away. And you may be saying, oh man, I'd love to come to Jesus, but I'm just not good enough yet. I've got things I need to take care of in my life. I've got areas in my life I've got to get in order. But you will never be good enough. That's why Jesus tells you just to come. Come as you are, worried, weary, wounded, broke, struggling, and he will give you rest. But you must put him first. No thing in the world is going to satisfy you. Your search is not for a thing. Your search is for a person, and that person is Christ. Let's pray together. God, I would pray that you would help each of us to experience that better life that you call us to. So please forgive us for for settling for things that don't last. God, give us the wisdom to see a better way to live. Help us to to realize that as we trust you, that you can do more with 90% than we can do with 100. And so we would just pray and thank you ahead of time for the ways we're going to see your provision as we put you first. And God, I thank you that godliness with contentment is great gain. May we be blessed with the gift of contentment. And I thank you that our lives can be filled with more and more of what matters most. God, help us to say no to the things of the world and say yes to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.